0: Our first reading is from the Gospel of Luke 3 1 through 6. It's a traditional Advent reading. It's the proclamation of John the Baptist. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. In a second reading, uh, this is uh, The Christmas Quest by Phil Karspekin. Somewhere in the blithe heart of Christmas, uh, a vague discontent steals over us, bringing pause to our gaiety and sending us like questing children to a vigil at the window. Turning from the festive glow, we search the lonely sweep of stars for something beyond the tinseled pleasures and delights, and if we search with with the soul's keen vision, perhaps we will find what we seek. It will have more splendor than all earth's Christmas lights and candles. It will be as distant as the North Star and as close as your heart. It will be as ancient as the expanse of nearly 2,000 years and as young as this very Christmas. It will gleam among the shadows of eternity and it will adorn your earthly being with the evergreen hope and the celestial ornaments of goodwill. It is a wondrous thing to look deep into the face of the silent night and to find at last In the timelessness of the stars, the spirit of Advent. So when military chaplains go and visit uh, local UU congregations, we're also we're often asked to speak about our military experience and tell, tell folks a little bit about our chaplaincy. Um, but you know, with the first day of Advent and Bodhi Day, I just, I had to get my UU on. I dusted off my, my standing on the side of love stole, because um, I just love these two, these two holidays, and, and to put... Uh, these two celebrations together in, in a mashup is is very you-you. And uh, uh, I, I love preaching at the chapel on base, but it is uh, mostly evangelical Christian congregation, so we can't do this there. Uh, so thank you for letting me do it here. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll come back sometime, uh, Veterans Day or something, or some other time and share. Uh... I will say that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real honor to be able to serve our armed forces, uh, with today's military being incredibly diverse, um, just in, in, in every way that our larger society is diverse. Um, I, you know, as a Unitarian Universalist chaplain, I get to bring our good news of inclusion and absolute radical acceptance. Um, so it, you know, it, it's our voice. ...in there that, uh, that I get to, uh, to to live out every single day. So it's, it's an honor to be able to serve that, that ministry. Now, with all my enthusiasm for Advent today, I, I never quite got the whole Advent thing growing up. In fact, uh, my wife Cindy and I just visited my sister down in Southern California... And she had the little Advent chocolate calendar, and they were all very excited about opening the little things. And I even said, you know, well, do do you know what it's about? And she's like, no, it's about the Advent calendar. It's the chocolate. And that's the the way we were raised, was that was pretty much it. Um, You know, it was what we kind of siblings uh, fought over, because not every piece of chocolate was the same size, right? Some were little tiny ones, and some were big ones. I started to get the meaning of Advent after Cindy and I were given a small Christmas ornament, our first Christmas together, now uh, 31 Christmases ago. It was a little handmade wood mouse sitting in a swing. We got it somewhere in the middle of Arizona, on, literally on, a, on some back road, and she was seven months pregnant, so we were making frequent stops, and we stopped and uh, walked in Made a beeline for the for the restrooms, and a woman at the at the very gruff woman at the counter stopped us and pointed to a sign that said no free bathroom, and the other another sign on a little jar that said one dollar for the bathroom. So I ran out. I literally ran out to the car, got some change, threw it in there. Um, and now, but coming back, we you know we paid, and but coming back, the woman called us over to the counter. Wasn't sure if we were going to get chewed out a little more or what was going to happen. She took off this little ornament and she handed it to us. She said, it's for your child. As if we might mistake the gift for us, you know. (laughs) But the warmth in her heart for that unborn child, I still remember. It was our first family ornament received as a gift in a time of waiting for our child to come We were headed off to meet our family, Uh, the first time Cindy was going to meet my family. And for what promised surprise might arrive, it was a true Advent gift in the liminal space between a here and a there. And we got down to Mom's house in Simi Valley. I hung the little ornament near the top. It didn't quite fit the very elegant tree that my mom had, Um, all white lights, beautiful tinsel, perfect tree topper, but it's been on our tree every year since. Now, I've, I've come to believe there are two kinds of people at Christmas. There are the kind of people who put white lights on their trees, and there are the kind of people who put colored lights on their trees. How many, how many white light people do we have here? Would you? Yes, Cindy's raising her hand. How many colored light people do we have here? We compromised. We put white lights on the tree. Yeah. Some people don't like trees. so Or some people may not even celebrate Christmas, of course. Absolutely. And, and we're Unitarian Universalists, so um, we all celebrate this season in different ways. Now, for, for white light people, the ornaments match the tree topper, the tinsel's even all the way around the back where nobody can see it, right? Because it matters to us. (laughs) Then there are colored light people who it may not be about the presentation at all, but about every single little uh, story and all the eclectic ornaments we may put on our trees. And I'm of mixed heritage. White lights on my mom's side of the family, colored lights on my father's. And I've actually been known to mix strands. I even have some purple disco lights that got on there one year. Now at my grandma's house there would have been none of that mixing whatsoever. Grandma's tree was always lit in a beautiful coordinated light blue motif. Um, The tree always had to reach the the ceiling. One one year she moved to a, a house with very high ceilings and Thankfully, my dad uh, worked at a Christmas tree lot, and we were able to accommodate these, these huge ceilings that my, mo- my grandma had. Uh, and every year, my dad would pick out the fullest, greenest tree on the lot, and he had orders, of course, from my grandmother, and he would take that fresh, green, beautiful tree into a booth of constructed plywood, and... Uh, put it in the middle on a stand, and blast it with the artificial snowblower. Twice for my grandma. Now see, when I preach that line in the Midwest, I always get huge groans. But <laughs> I learned later that dad didn't spend the Advent season, the five weeks before Christmas, at the tree lot because he enjoyed it, which was a surprise to us kids because there was a Heading zoo there and a Santa. Like, who wouldn't want to spend weeks at the tree lot? Now, Dad, a colored light guy, did it because he needed the extra cash to buy us Christmas presents. And I only learned that years, years later. For my family growing up, this liminal period of Advent never really held much spiritual meaning. It's not to say we weren't religious. In fact, we went to church twice a week. And in fact, the, the, we, we often tried to pull apart the Christmas of the commercialism and the materialism from the religious uh, aspects of it. And so we were kind of kind a of little removed from all the, you know, we did do that dime store advent calendar, but that was about it. The real Christmas for us was the one that honored the birth of our teacher, which was how we viewed Jesus. I never understood that advent was really about waiting in a period of holy discontent for something more something to pull us pull the world out of confusion and suffering. The central image of advent is John the Baptist in the wilderness. He was wild, he was clothed in the skins of animals. He dined on it said honey dipped or locusts dipped in honey. John, as we heard in our reading earlier from the Christian scriptures, was one in a series of apocalyptic messiahs who would gather throngs of people down on the banks of the Jordan River. And he, they, he, they, these, uh, these uh, prophets hoped to reenact the exodus, restore and rededicate the temple, and bring uh, uh, Israel's sovereignty back from, from uh, captivity. Now, Rome got to John first, but not before he had baptized a young rabbi from Galilee in that river. The season as it is conceived in the Christian world is quite specific as to its meaning. John Raymond, a contemplative monastic in the diocesan tradition, notes that Advent has a double meaning. It is a season to prepare for Christmas when we celebrate Jesus' birth, and it's a remembrance to wait for the coming of final peace to the world. And no matter how we interact with Christmas, that waiting for final peace, for peace to come to the world, is something I think we all, especially these last several years, are waiting, waiting for. Early Christians adapted their observance from a pagan ritual of waiting for a god to come and dwell in the temple each winter season. The feast honoring this god was called Adventus. And at Adventus, the usually closed temple would be opened, says Raymond. Adventus was the anniversary of a god's return, convenient for Christians to adopt for, their coming, uh, for the coming of their Lord. Many Unitarian Universalists might puzzle over how to approach, much less talk about, the Advent season. Waiting for the arrival of the world's savior doesn't resonate for mo- all of us. And although ours is a religious association descended from Christian roots, today's UU Christians are only one of many branches that extend through our churches. How? how about you? Have you struggled to find the meaning of Advent in your spiritual year? Or have you simply ignored it? Is it simply a thing of loveliness from another tradition's liturgy? So let me tell you how I came to a better understanding of this holiday. Surprisingly, it arose from my practice of insight meditation. Yes, I'm a UU Christian with a Buddhist meditation practice and an Emersonian reverence for nature. As an Air Force chaplain working along, uh, working with all Baptist and Evangelical Christians, it kind of makes their heads hurt. <laughs> yeah, they come over to my house, and there's a cross on the wall, and a Buddha in the corner, and a little meditation center, you know. I'm that guy. But you get it, right? Christian faith, Buddhist practice, Emerson, maybe not in that order, mix and match, rinse and repeat. No matter, no, so no, no matter how many years anyone's meditated, I'm told, there are times when a nagging thought or a problem just won't leave us alone. That's what happened to me one cold winter's night about 15 years ago. I was in Chicago and it was cold. We uh, sat in the meditation hall uh, on our cushions on the floor, kind of a French window letting cold air in. I was freezing cold, and I had a problem that was wouldn't leave me alone. My my internship supervisor, minister, had told me that I was going to preach on Advent, and it better be good. Advent is about waiting, so using what I've learned in meditation, I told my worry to wait. I will, I'll get back to you later. Oftentimes we're invited to simply, we invite a a worry or a care or concern to sit down beside us. You'll be there in an hour when we're done. No can do, said the worry. You're going to be up in front of the congregation speaking about Advent. They want answers. They want inspiration about Advent. All I could think about was chocolate calendars, and then a little thought emerged from the quiet <sighs> not another one I said can 't you guys leave me alone? And The little thought said, "What are you doing here i 'm sitting what are you what are you doing here i 'm sitting. What are you doing here night after night on this silly little cushion of yours i 'm sitting." And what are you sitting for? I'm sitting and waiting. Ah, waiting. The practice of Advent. In this way, most spiritual practices are a kind of waiting, right? Active listening in covenant groups, right? You're sitting there waiting, not for your turn, but just sitting there absorbing what's happening in another person's life. The body in yoga, working with music, I play trombone in the Solano Winds, and some of our pieces have like 32 measures of of rest. We're just waiting. Release through chanting. Lectio Divina, a practice I heard Reverend Christian lecture on last year right here in your fellowship hall, waiting for the text, a sacred text, to speak to you. Even regular attendance at church can be a spiritual practice rooted in a waiting together for the appearance or return of something unseen yet known. Contemplative prayer is a profoundly universal practice that I I sometimes do. That's where we put a a word at the center of our meditation. Uh, During Advent, I like to do that each week. So this week I meditate on hope. And every time one of those thoughts creeps in, breathe in love and breathe out hope might be worth trying this week. And this led me to another realization, of course, that this week of December also celebrates Bodhi Day. Over the day the historical Buddha, uh, an Indian prince named Gotama, we heard earlier, sat down under a tree and he woke up, gained enlightenment. This confluence of, of observances, Bodhi Day and Advent, has brought a richness of this time for me. We heard earlier how he, he left the sheltered existence of his palace, went out into the world, discovered illness and, and old age and death, didn't know what to do with it. So he sat with it, sat with life, everything that life was presenting to him, and realized that the acceptance of it is the key. And he, but he didn't know what was going to happen when he sat down. He just sat there. He sat there for about a week, we're told. He was tempted by the Hindu god Mara with the idea that, that life might be about pleasure and worldly satisfaction. This is 2,600 years ago, the Pali texts tell us. The teachings of the Buddha, as he was thereafter known, assumed that we can follow if we wait, we practice, just keep practicing. A man sitting, waiting, not knowing what he waited for. Three kings, waiting, right? They journeyed across the desert. I, I don't imagine that they got there and boom, it was all, like they probably got to the, to the manger, like, I oh, don't know, hey, we're three kings, how you doing? Sat down, I imagine there's a lot of waiting, a world waiting, not knowing what we wait for. What a great mashup of observances, and it makes sense, the, the, in the cold of the season, waiting for the warmth of hope can seem impossible. So I invite you to look into your religious practices to find some meaning in this season of Advent for you. We may not have Advent candles, but look to the burning reminders of hope, peace, joy, and love all around us. I did notice you have five candles. So for, for those of you who, uh, who enjoy Advent, you know, it could be hope, peace, joy, love, and then, of course, the Christmas candle. Maybe your religious practice is most rooted in working for justice, though. Maybe you're waiting for, for a hope, a hope that the world will be a better place as you come into contact with more action oriented people in, in this congregation. Maybe your religious practice is rooted in environmental concerns, a root uh, rooted in love for this earth so strong that you feel its cry in your bones. Maybe your religious practice is most rooted in ethical human relations, a desire for peace so strong that it shapes everything you do. Maybe your religious practice is most rooted in exploring the mystery of it all and in the joy of discovering connection and wholeness. So together we can enter Advent. And I invite you to do it with intention, even with reason, looking to the light above to guide your way through it. I invite you to engage It with the depth of mindfulness. So it might add meaning to your spiritual life or might add depth to your worshiping community, your families, your individuals. As we wake up, the world wakes from its ignorance and slumber. I invite you to search for those places where you feel an energetic connection between the traditional meaning of Advent and our religious practices and this beloved community of hope and love and the coming joyful peace offered to the world. I invite this season for you to explore a meaning of Advent that resonates with you. And so I I pray, may all beings be full of hope and find joy. May all beings find loving kindness in the waiting. May peace prevail over all. Maybe so. Amen. Amen.